Good morning. Good morning and welcome to the original Loretta Brown show. Woohoo! Radio to open our beautiful hearts, heal the soul and awaken the consciousness. Good morning, Benny. I'm so glad to see you this morning. Hi, good to see you. And you can hear me finally this week. I know. We had a little, had a little bit of... Yeah, last week. It wasn't my fault, though. No, I, oh. I don't even know what happened because later on we could hear you and you didn't do anything. All so right, well, was... let me break it down for you a little bit. Oh, okay. This is basically break what it down. down. So we have our <laughs> IT department and they're like, oh, hey, let's just bring you a new computer today. That means we have to set all of our new settings and go back. And I just didn't have enough time to get it all set up and ironed out. But we got you on the air with Scott Stabile yep. and it was a great show. And now we're going to move on and have another great show. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just um, missed my little opening talk with I you. Know, me you know, too. It's, it's just what we do. Yeah. Didn't you know? it feel like a little disconnected for that whole hour? Like just, just a scotch, just a scotch. It, it, no, I agree with you. Okay. It was like, well, I know Benny's here, but where is he? Aww, I can't heart. see him. Yeah. <laughs> big hearts to you too. Benny, you're the best. <laughs> I say it all the time, uh, but you really are. And, you know, I do get emails from people, Aww. little messages appreciating you, and I keep forgetting to send them on to you. So I'm going to go back and see if I can find them. But Yeah, what's up with that? There's a little button you know, <laughs> called forward. It's pretty easy just to go. Boop, and there you go. I mean, I'd love to see him. I'd love to reach back. This year, I promise to send forward the All emails. Right. All right, that's your intention. It's a little late. That is to my like, intention. All right, it's a yeah. little post uh, delayed on attention, but we'll make it yeah. work. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, um, you know, and you're my Capricorn friend, one of them. I have many Capricorn friends, mm -hmm. and... Sometime we'll have to just meet and you'll tell me all the things that are happening in your life because this is a this is big stuff for oh, my Capricorns sure. and my Aquarians sure. and all this kind of sure, stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm yeah, I'm yeah. grounded energy. I'm holding everything down for you. Me. are. That's what we do. You you really are. Yes, I very much appreciate it. It's Capricorns my Unite. <laughs> mm, that's right. <laughs> Wait, I need my news team assemble. Perfect. All right. That is perfect. That's way, way perfect. Anyway, it's good to see you. Thank you for doing what you do, because we certainly wouldn't be here My pleasure. Uh, without you. Sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And to everybody listening, so I am Loretta Brown. I'm the owner of a Reiki Oasis, located right here in the greater Seattle area for, whew, we're going on 30 years pretty, pretty soon. Maybe we're at 28, 27, somewhere in there. Anyway, you can find out more about me at ReikiOasis.com. You can schedule all kinds of stuff at schedule.ReikiOasis.com. My monthly class for women, the Temple of the Divine Feminine, will be next Saturday, January 27th. Because this Saturday, I get to officiate an amazing, beautiful wedding for some beautiful people. And well... I'll tell, I may or may not tell you about it later, but it's going to be a love fest for sure. It's, it's a dance us to the end of love, right? You know, I love that, that song. And um, so let's check in, let's jump into astrology because guess what? It's here. It's here. What's here? Pluto. Yeah, Pluto's here. Pluto has been dancing around on the cusp between Capricorn that hardworking sign, and Aquarius for a while, going back and forth, back and forth. This coming Saturday, January 20th, is a big event. Pluto will move out of Capricorn and into Aquarius until September. It's, then it's it's going to back into Capricorn, then it's going to go back into Aquarius for the next 20 years, preparing us for a new era. 
and um, it's big stuff. We also had a very big event this year where, or this week, excuse me, earlier in the week, where according to uh, the Vedic calendar, we actually exited what's called the Kali Yuga, and we are really in a new age. So let me just talk about it for a second. Planet is uh, Pluto is the planet of deep transformation. It rules over the cycles of death and rebirth. Its energy is the fuel that burns the fire to destroy and the fuel that helps the ashes rise into something new. So Pluto is our subconscious, the shadow, the skeletons in the closet, the things we have swept under the rug, or maybe the things that are difficult for us to feel or look at, right? It's just, that's Pluto. Pluto represents our deepest desires, our deepest fears, and our deepest subconscious programming, and works in the backgrounds of our lives, moving us through constant cycles of death and rebirth until we are ultimately transformed into our full potential. How much we allow it to work as magic is up to us, and our level of consciousness. So Pluto stirs topics around death and rebirth, guiding us to become comfortable <laughs> with letting go. Are we ever comfortable letting go? <gasps> Loss, shedding, and the transformation that takes place through it all. Um, you know, I've done a lot of shows on death and grieving, and it's one of the biggest initiatory paths that we could go through um, it, it's, it's a big, it's a big dialogue. When Pluto is activated, it often brings something to an end. Many of you have been feeling Pluto in the Capricorn area of your lives. It's kind of hammers on us a little bit. Pluto guides us to where the power lies and can help to transform and shift power dynamics on both an individual and collective level. In fact, Pluto changing signs can expose where power has been abused and can bring a shift in power. So Pluto's been in Capricorn since January 2008. And if you were around back then, you remember the big housing crisis. And that was Pluto moving into Capricorn. But now on March uh, 20, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, it moved into Aquarius on March 23rd, 2023, uh, for the first time in over 248 years. And then, like I said, it's been dancing between Capricorn and Aquarius last year, kind of giving us a little taste of things. And um, it will on November 19th of this year, 2024, uh, Aquarius will move, or Pluto will move into Aquarius until March of 2043. <clears throat> and as Pluto traveled through Capricorn, it, it, it worked to expose and transform issues related to big business, materialism, the financial sector, laws, and regulations. Now it's moving into Aquarius. We're going to see exposure and transformation in areas related to technology, AI, community, humanitarianism, and what's called the people. One of the biggest shifts is the move of power from top-down hierarchical structures, which is Capricorn, very structured Capricorn, and to more community, and people-driven power, which is ruled by Aquarius. The last time Pluto was in Aquarius was between 1778 and 1798. Hmm, what was going on back then? A period of massive change. We had French Revolution. The American Constitution was written when Pluto was in Aquarius. And the Constitution's first three words, we the people, are perhaps 
the first modern expression of the Aquarius entity of we the people. And the entity is not a king, a ruler, or a government. We the people is the people. The people moving together that self-governs, self-regulates according to the interests and well-being of everyone. Boy, that's a big conversation. And in Aquarius, it is the plural entity that takes priority over individual concerns. So we the people is a reminder that uh, that the people's representatives, rulers, governors, politicians, and policymakers are here to represent and serve the people. On a personal level, Pluto activates a transformation in a particular area of our lives. Like I said, it's in the subconscious, it's in the shadow, and it's going to bring to the surface the energy of obsession, addiction, letting go, shedding, death, rebirth, transformation, secrets exposed, the questioning of life, who am I? Why am I here? Do I have any value? Do I have any worth? And the life purpose, power struggles. So it's it's really powerful, uh, my dear listeners. This is, we're entering an absolute new time on planet Earth. Pluto in Aquarius is like to bring transformations relating to the use of technology, artificial intelligence. There's lots of discussions around AI, and uh, we need to be very conscious with what it is that we do moving forward, in my opinion. And uh, keywords, leadership, goals, dreams, freedom, you get the idea. And so Pluto in Aquarius is going to push us to become more authentic. And it is a uh, an energy of a revolution or evolution. I'm always hoping we go to the higher octave of all these things. And of course, as a spiritual teacher and a counselor and all the things I do, my message forever has been to let's live from the deepest aspects of our heart and uh, let's be love activists, love advocates. And that's not an easy thing to do because it starts with loving yourself. Oh boy, let's not go there. So, um, Take a, take a look at everything that's coming up. We do have the sun, Mercury, communication, Venus, love, money, luxury, Mars, hoo-hoo, the fiery planet Mars, and moon are all aligning with transforming Pluto over the next few weeks. So just kind of pay attention to some of the themes that are coming up. Um, you know, whenever I say the word change to people, they they go, what do you mean? And I'm here to tell you, Change is not necessarily bad, it's just change. And so we have to begin, like I said, always begin with the self and move out from there. So under all of that powerful energy, um, I have a wonderful guest. This is a great conversation today. Uh, my guest today, Michelle Madrid, is a former foster child in the UK, an adoptee empowerment coach, and the author of Let Us Be Greater, A Gentle Guided Path to Healing, for adoptees. She is also host of the Electricity of You podcast. Adoption is a lifeline of support and opportunity for thousands, but it also brings challenges and emotional conditions that are often silenced or left unaddressed, including PTSD, the risk of suicide, and the fear of abandonment. In her new book, Michelle Madrid writes, we're not here as adoptees to live someone else's life, we're here to live our own lives, our big and beautiful lives. So welcome to the show, Michelle. Wow. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be with you today. I, everything that you just moved through, I was taking copious notes. I am a Capricorn. So Capricorns oh, unite, yay! Benny. I understand Woo-hoo! the ground and energy. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, you know, your description of Pluto and Aquarius and that the search for authenticity, I, you know, it's why I wrote this book, Let Us Be wow. Greater. It's the authenticity for adoptees, the ability to live our authentic truth and and really connect with our authentic selves. So thank you for having me. Yeah, I um, a long time ago realized that the day that the guest is on my show, there's some sort of absolute direct alignment with the energies of what's happening. And uh, while I was writing that up, I actually was thinking about you being on the show going, wow, I, you know, I can't make this stuff up. There is this greater hand in everything. We are at such a tipping point in so many areas of our lives, right? And wow, I I want to just jump in with two feet because this this subject of adoption, the subject of self-worth, right? Mm, Yes, yes, yes. Am am I wanted? Am I not wanted? Mm, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, so maybe just jump in there, just really, you know, speaking from your heart and your experience and all of that. Um, Yeah, because you said that the book, this is the reason you wrote the book. Yes. Yeah, so just expand on that. It's the reason I wrote the book, and it's the journey that I've been on (laughs) since... (laughs) You know, I think since um, within the womb, I I write in the book that I I really believe that the energy that we feel in the womb is very real. We're very connected to our mothers. We're not mother and child in the womb. We are mother child. And so for the adoptee, and, you know, I go back into my own journey, my my mom, my birth mom, my bio mom, first mom um, in England, really struggled with whether or not she would, you know, carry me to term and deliver me into the world. She was married with three children. She had had an affair with a a Spanish man. And um, there was a lot, there was a lot going on to, to, to process and unpack inside of that situation. It was very difficult. Ultimately, um, after, you know, trying on three different occasions to terminate the pregnancy, she did bring me into the world, something I'm very grateful for. Um, and the decision was made to place me into foster care, which she did. And inside of foster care, I was labeled as difficult to place, clearly stated in my foster records. I was labeled inside on those pages as illegitimate, strange looking, um, an odd child, just all sorts of limiting labels that really adhered to my young spirit. But I think it was also Um, something that was carried through from the womb into the world. Um, I believe that I, and I write in the book, not to be dramatic, but it is science-based. I felt like I perhaps treaded the waters of life inside of my mother's womb Um, and coming into the world. I just felt all of that. I felt all of that energy, right? And so the struggle for me, even after adoption, adoption didn't take all of that away. We don't enter our new surroundings as adoptees, as blank slates. We come with a history. We come with an energy. And, um, you know, I entered into an adoptive home where um, my my father struggled with alcohol addiction. 
and um, there was, you know, verbal abuse that happened. And um, for me, another um, another sign that I was unworthy, that I wasn't really wanted in this life. And um, it really dented my spirit for a very, very long time. And I think that the separation we feel as adoptees, the loss, I mean, adoption loss is real. It's a trauma that happens in our lives. Something comes apart before something can come together. A family has to come apart before another family can come together, before adoption can even happen. There has to be a loss. And so what we haven't been able to do as adoptees is talk about that loss. And it's very important. I mean, you talked about Pluto and things being swept under the rug, right? And <laughs> I think that's what has happened for decades and decades and decades as an adoptee community. There's been much swept under the the rug in the name of not appearing as ungrateful. Um, is that something we hear a lot yes. as adoptees? Just be grateful. Just move on. Um, but I don't think you can move on as a whole human being um, and really connect with your identity, your truest identity, really answer who am I and why am I here if half of you is being kept swept under the rug. And so bringing these these things out into the light, oh, it's high time. We have to talk yeah. about the points of pain so we can help adoptees heal and move forward. Well, um, that's beautifully said and it's rich and deep. It's, it, it's rich and deep. Um, this idea that you were uh, the product of a an affair, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's my understanding that you know your your father. Because you say this in your book, and I've actually read your book. I like it. Thank you. Thank <laughs> I always you. tell people that they're like, "Thank you," right? Uh -huh. But but I really mean it. Um, your father didn't really want to be a father. Your biological father. Your first. For, you know, and your biological mother, uh, I'm going to touch on that uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit later in a moment. Hmm. Um, but the names that we give to these children that are born out of wedlock or that are born from, you know, are, are by themselves carry a very negative energy. Hmm. Like, you know, for instance, and, and forgive me, you know, the bastard child or the 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 unwanted um let's erase it let's let's put it over there it didn't happen we'll never talk of it again you know mm -hmm. sometimes people go to their grave and they never have shared right mm -hmm. and um the searching you know this thing about even in the womb you know they've done so many studies and i know you know this but i'm just saying it for the listening audience that that's actually true that child is very, very affected. And in the work that I do, we do quite often go back to the womb and even before. But, you know, it's interesting. I I, I have a, a, a quote from your book that I had printed out. I wanted to make sure I read it on the air and you started right there. So something's in sync here. Hmm. So I'm just going to read this. And you have uh, your book is set up in in lovely sections and then you have something called the adoptee awakening and you have this space in there where you want people to ponder and contemplate you know what it is that they just read and you write here adoptees are safe to initiate the change they deserve and desire they are capable of transforming the womb energy that does not support them in the world adoptees can begin this energy transformation 
through a personal invitation of welcome. Hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for sharing that. The personal invitation yeah. of welcome. I have that, the welcome to the world invitation, I have very, very early in the book because I think it's step one. I didn't feel welcome in the world and so many adoptees don't fully feel welcome into the world that they have entered into the life that they've been given. And so we live on the fringes. I le lived a very long time as a secret. I knew I was someone's secret and so I thought I had to live small and and dim my light and soften my voice and ask permission from outside sources if I could go back to my my country of origin to England. And when I was there, I felt like a foreigner in my own country and certainly a foreigner in my own life until the point when I reached early adulthood and I said, enough, enough, this is not sustainable. It's hurtful. I am not a secret. I have been given life and I am not going to live like this anymore. And so welcoming myself into the world, into my life and taking ownership of my life, the thoughts that I think, the behaviors <laughs> that, that I, I choose, it, all of it, what I'm here to do and be, I am in control of that. And when I made that shift from this sort of fixed mindset, oh, I can't do anything about it. I'm a secret. I have to live small. I'm just one of those people, one of those kids, lesser than. When I said enough and I stepped into a growth mindset, I never looked back from that point on. I, you know, went into a courtroom and I changed my name, my last name back to Madrid, which is, um, you know, that of my my father's heritage and my birth father's heritage. I and I was I was tired as much as I love and I love my beautiful, imperfect adoptive family. No family is perfect. Believe me, I, we all know that <laughs> yeah. there are we're all moving through things that we need to heal and look at. But I couldn't no, no longer live my life feeling like I was in a shoe that didn't quite fit, just a little uncomfortable with myself and with my identity and the person I was seeing in the mirror. So, you know, I I I took my name back, Madrid. Um, and that felt good. And so I started making these little these little steps, these little decisions to begin peeling back the layers and getting back to me, welcoming myself fully into my life, the life that I am here to live and taking ownership of that life. It's a very important step. I, I think for adoptees and non-adoptees, there are so many ways that we can find ourselves living a life of expectations outside expectations well what do they want me to be who do they want me to be you know what do you want to be who do you want to be yeah. those are the questions we have to get back to well um exactly because you're kind of pigeonholed or labeled put into a box and then that label is like okay well then i am not really part of this i'm off to the side mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm lesser than. I'm lesser, I'm lesser than somehow. Than. Yeah. So if I'm lesser than, how can the dreams that I hold in my heart ever really be actualized, realized? Um, you know, how can I really engage with others if I'm constantly feeling inadequate in some way? Um, and I had to really come to terms as as 
really all adoptees do that the circumstances that happened around us do not define yeah. us that was that was the clear decision i had to to make and the understanding i had to get to is those circumstances don't define me they were circumstances choices were made but they do not define my identity my worth my value and all that i'm here to do those things don't define me i define me yeah i'm also thinking okay so a lot of people um I think you point this out in your book that if if I if my parents are flawed, then oh. I must be flawed. Yeah. And I want to talk more about that, but I'm also making a connection to something I want to bring up in a bit, which is for those people, those adoptees who are wanting to find their birth parent, their their, you know, the birth parents or or whatever the deal it is that's a journey we we definitely want to talk about in in a minute and if that is a good thing a bad thing or what happens when we discover who they really are because there can be a a distortion uh, around the idea of who they are like if i just find them i will be whole right if i just find my mom i'll be whole you know and then uh oh <laughs> mom is not whole right yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I learned that, you know, I, I reunited with my uh, bio mom in England in my teens. And when I went there, I flew by myself and I was determined and I knew that this was it. This was the moment I've been waiting for. She was going to answer all of my questions. She was going to claim me as her own and all of the pieces of the puzzle um, would fall into place. And that didn't happen. Um, my, my mom was struggling. She struggled with the decision that she had made. There was a lot of secrecy around this decision, um, of placing me into foster care. Um, I was her secret and in, and the situation was a part of the shame that followed her. And, um, you know, she wasn't when I went there the first time, she was not ready to claim me publicly as her own. In fact, she even denied me. Um, as her daughter in front of a neighbor who asked, oh, who do we have here? And my mom said, oh, this is, and she really struggled, Michelle. She's a relative from the U.S. Oh. And I said, mom, after the neighbor left, why, did, why didn't you tell her that I'm your daughter? And she said, well, it's none of her business. I didn't think she needed to know. And I said, well, I needed to hear that because it's the truth, mom. And I realized in that moment, as hard as that was, and as broken hearted as I felt, um, over time, not in the moment, but over time, I realized that was a gift because what it showed me was that I, the, the, the ability to heal, the ability to reunite with myself, to find my own truth, to claim my own, my own identity, that is all within me. And there's nothing outside of me that can give me that, not even my bio mom not even the woman who carried me in the womb. She was struggling with her own challenges and shame and sense of blame. It was my work to do. And I needed to take that on fully and love myself enough to go on the journey. That is so powerful. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. um, wow, good for you because that to me is the message right there, you know, in a, in a nutshell, uh, there's a lot around it, but I sometimes talk to people about living from the inside out rather than mm. the outside in, yes. you know, and it's such a journny, you know, because we're looking outside of ourselves constantly for 
validation or some sort of recognition of who we are. You know, we all need love and we all need to feel safe and all these things. But when you can figure out, like you said, you claim your own identity, who am I? And it's in here. It's in here. Mm. Um, the influences of your ancestral lineage, right? Your Whether they're known or unknown to you, there is a, a reality to the concept of ancestral healing, you know? Yes. It's, it's very real. Yes, yes. And yeah. yeah. I, I've done a lot of work in that way, somatic, you know, therapy, somatic healing, alternative modes of, of healing have always worked best for me. Mm -hmm. um, but connecting with my ancestors and understanding that is very real. The energy of our ancestral line um, is powerful. They are with us. I feel them each and every day around me. I am leading for my way forward. I no longer hide in the shadows. <laughs> I lead. I am the leader because I believe that healing is ancestral work. What we heal for ourselves, we heal for our entire family line, ancestral line, past, present, future. Healing is just that powerful self-healing. And so I feel the energy of my ancestors behind me. Like, and I'm, I'm leading forward. I am the one to make this change. No longer will we carry these secrets forward. No longer will there, there be shame in this ancestral line because I say it so. And it stops with me. And that's really, it's truly how I feel. It has been such an empowering shift um, to say, no more, not me. I'm not ashamed at all of my stories, scars, flaws, and all. Let's bring it out from under the rug. <laughs> Let's look at it. Because there's wisdom in all of There's wisdom to be found in the mess. There's miracle in the mess. I really believe that. And wisdom in the wound. And so, um it is not easy work. I know I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's not easy <laughs> to look at those things, but it's essential that we do. I have a lovely image in my mind of you up there in the heavenly realms going, I'm going to go down and break that, break that chain. Yes. Right? <laughs> and, and then they said, okay, but we're also going to make you lovely and sweet and a beautiful uh -huh. big heart, right? Because you got to have the heart. Um, yeah for this kind of work. Um, you know, I, I love to go to Egypt and, and the Sekhmet temples are, are they, the ancient stories are that they would look for the girls with the warrior hearts, the strong Ooh. hearts, because Ooh. they were the ones that had to be the healers. You have to be very strong hearted. Yeah. Mm. Got mm. goosebumps, please. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I'm, I'm writing that down. <laughs> Yeah, you don't <laughs> I don't mind at all. We're oh getting ready. Goodness. We're getting ready to take a station break. But just before the break, I want to say this. Years ago, somebody said to me, uh, you know, your ancestors, Loretta, are like a tree that are holding you up. And every single ancestor had to be there in order for you to be here. And they're cheering you on. They're going, please, please do it. Please do it. Please break those chains. Please, please change it. Uh, and make our lives of value also. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's wow. So that's a beautiful thing. So anyway, wow, what a great conversation I'm having with Michelle Madrid mm -hmm. and um, author of Let Us Be Greater, A Gentle Guided Path to Healing for Adoptees. We're going to take a little station break. And this is Loretta Brown. Don't go away. We have lots more wonderful things to talk about when we come back. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. 
Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional-sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Did you know that Reiki healing can be done at a distance? It's true. So let Reiki Oasis focus powerful energy to help relieve your stress, grief, sadness, anger, and so much more. Convenient, personalized treatments at a distance can increase lightness of being. During your appointment, find a quiet place to lie down or sit to receive healing energies. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. Working hard to put a smile on your face. Alternative Talk 1150. Woohoo! Benny, the best music ever. Thank you so much. Yeah. Anyway, welcome back to the original Loretta Brown Show. I am Loretta Brown with my wonderful guest, Michelle Madrid, who is a an adoptee empowerment coach and the author of Let Us Be Greater, A Gentle Guided Path to Healing for Adoptees. Just a reminder that these shows are archived and downloadable for free at any given time. You can find uh, you can find us at KKNW, 1150 AM, the archives for the original Loretta Brown Show. And also we're on iTunes, Podcast One, Spotify, X, I almost said Twitter, X, Megaphone, <laughs> YouTube, and all kinds of other places out there. So. Uh, go and find it. And there's lots of other great shows, too. So we're having the most wonderful discussion this morning. Very meaningful discussion. Um, so what are you talk about um, these things, these eight, these eight points, eight pain points, I think you call them. Can you go through what are the eight pain points, the places of hurt? Absolutely. Um, these are points of pain that adoptees, um, like myself, and so many others who come to me seeking support and coaching, guiding and mentorship um, experience. We touched on one earlier in our conversation is just the pain of feeling unwelcome in the world. The pain of feeling somehow not quite welcome in the life you've been given. The pain of broken bonds and just a deep sense of loss. We touched on that adoption loss is real. Something had to come apart before something else could come together. A family had to be severed before adoption could ever happen, right? Um, the pain of being denied access to truth. You know, oh, I write yeah. in the book, you know, what, ever since I was a kid, the truth will set you free. I learned that in church, yet I couldn't access my own truth. It took me as an adult almost 10 months of um, proving that I was capable of holding my foster files in my own hands, my truth, the truth of my earlier life. Um, and and so there's, it, it feels like for adoptees, it's always a battle to get to the truth. Even if it's our medical history, our biological medical history, truth is absolutely you know, it's, it's our, it's lifeblood, right? We, we all desire, every human wants the truth, um, the pain of familial rejection and words that harm. Um, that's a very real pain point for adoptees. Words that harm can be something like, oh, just be grateful, you know, just oh. move on. 
you don't need to know about what happened before. Just, you know, those kind of things can be very harmful or the, the labeling of kids. Um, certainly the labels that are in my foster records of being illegitimate, you know, being called a bastard child growing up. These are words that are harmful. They, they embed themselves into our soul, into the identity of who we are. Those things need to be shed and reframed and new words can be chosen. We have the power to do that as adoptees. The pain of distrust, pain of banished biology. Oh, the one that I struggled with for so long, the, the pain of pleasing others ah. versus pleasing the self Ooh. and the pain of lack of transparency and a sense of lack of acceptance. Those are the eight points of pain that I move through in the book and then we do the exercises the the soul work healing modalities of of transforming those points of pain into points of light for the adoptee so that they can see a way forward and they can step onto that path of healing for themselves yeah um those are poignant um powerful points i i'm i'm thinking to myself you know at the living level of life you know a child who is the stepchild or the adopted child or um, and yeah how many times I've talked to people who are adoptees who have said well you know I was you know told I didn't need to find out about that or I felt guilty trying to take a look at it because these are my, this is my mom and dad mm -hmm. and and I never did know that other person right mm, yeah i think that that um sense of guilt well if i try to connect with um my earliest story history with my bio family members then i don't want to hurt the yes. my adoptive family um those who have raised me etc and i think that's why we just need to have really clear open communication um, and and really step into you know adoption just like a hundred a hundred gazillion percent unconditional love, so that the adoptee understands if and when the time comes that you want to seek out information on your you know earliest life, the people who are involved in that very first chapter of your life, I am here for you. And as an adoptive parent, you know, don't take that personally. It's your child's journey. And it goes back to being a seeker of truth. I believe that adoptees, perhaps more than any other community of people out there, are just seekers of truth. We just want to know our truth so that we can feel more whole and yeah. answer those unanswered questions as best as we can. And so that level of guilt, I, I, I understand that is very real. And certainly I've moved through that, but love yourself enough, love yourself enough. If you, if that is really your desire and your need to honor that and know that in the doing, you won't hurt anyone. Um, but it is such an act of self-love for yourself, self-honoring and self-acknowledgement of what you've been through and the desire to live a, a fuller story. Yeah. I um, have a friend who not too long ago, uh, uh, in the last few years, you know, she's an adoptee and she knew bo both her birth mom and her um, adopted mom. And somewhere along the line here, um, someone passed away and she discovered 
that she had half sisters through her father that she never knew about. So she searched them out. You know, the internet has brought us good things and bad things. And one of the things that she really experienced is that they looked quite a bit alike and they had similar mannerisms, <laughs> nodding of yeah. the head or the sub inflection of the speech they'd never met. So talk about that just a little mm -hmm. bit, because I find it fascinating. Oh, yeah. it, you know, it is. I have so many stories about that, you know, just from the reunion and the time that I spent with my mom before she passed away in 2019. Um, I remember on my first trip to England to reunite with mom, um, I, I was a teenager and, you know, I got off the plane at Heathrow and I wondered, will, will she be here? Will she show up? Will she abandon me again? All those you know, thoughts went through my mind as I walked through the arrival term. And then I saw her and I had seen photos of her. Yes, but I, it was uncanny. Mom and I looked so much alike. I have the coloring of my Spanish father, but, oh. but our, our features, um, our smile, our, you know, our, our, our physical structure, it was uncanny. And the anger that I felt when I first got off the plane, like, I want to go tell her, how, how much she hurt me. I need her to hear this from me. I need to speak those words. It all melted away in that moment. And I just, we fell into each other's arms and we just wept. Um, but it was that, that very strong physical connection. I'd never seen anyone in the flesh that resembled me in, in that way. And it was, it was remarkable. And I remember the time that I spent with her, uh, when we would laugh, our heads would tilt, you know, in the same way, <laughs> our, our knees would sort of swing out our legs like, oh, and, uh, and it was beautiful. And it was also heartbreaking because I thought, oh, I would have loved to have had that growing up as a girl struggling with my own identity and, and just all the wonderings, you know, as you, as you develop and as you grow through your teens and all. Um, but I was certainly grateful to see it then when it happened as a as a, a, a older teen 16 ish um and then in my in my adulthood i connected with a, the brother i never knew i had on my father's side my half um brother and we met after our father had passed we met in spain and I remember him looking at me and just saying, oh, my God, you look so much like dad. And um, and then we would talk about that. And and then we started talking about childhood and how much. And we almost said it at the same time. We loved olives to the point that we would drink the olive juice out of the can or out of the jar. <laughs> and we laughed. I said, you did that, too. He goes, yeah, you did that. And. Um, I think the final story is I loved dandelions when I was, I still do. I have a dandelion tattoo on my wrist, but um, I used to blow on the little puffs and, and watch them float um, when I was a kid. And I would wonder, and I would imagine that it was my father, my bio father floating ab above me in the skies, looking for me, looking down, trying to find me. And um, my brother said to me, I shared that story with him and he said, oh, when I was a kid in, in, in Cordova, Spain, dad and I used to stand on a, a little bridge over a little creek and he loved to blow dandelions into the creek and watch the little puffs 
float away on, on the stream. And these little connections um, are life-giving, yeah. life-affirming for the adoptee. Um, and so as hard as it is, I know the journey of reunion, um, those things can truly be little things that, that save us and, and, and bring us a sense of completeness to the spirit and the soul. Um, what advice do you give people, honestly, that are, are thinking about trying to find their uh, birth mother, you know, um, like we have DNA testing, we've got the internet. And I was also thinking of a, of a story I heard the other day of someone who did DNA testing and discovered their father was not their father. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. All of the shifts that are coming in uh, yeah. family family structure through DNA testing. I mean, certainly, I think DNA testing has been revolutionary for adoptees. I mean, we yeah. uh, oftentimes um, adoptees go into DNA testing not necessarily looking for bio family, but just a um, a deeper understanding of their ancestry, their ancestry, um, or maybe medical something they might have get some information yeah, on right. on medical history or um, um something they might carry um anything to be aware of medically because again that information is can be so hard to find i think when you are thinking about as an adoptee going into um, dna testing because things can happen very quickly or they can happen really slow you know there's no guarantee on um, what you're going to find and, and the, the speed at which you might find um, information out. But I think it's really doing the work of understanding. The most, the most powerful reunion you will ever have is the reunion you have with yourself. The most life-transforming work you will ever do is the work you do from within. Um, and you change your in, internal environment. The outside world will respond to that. I think be very kind and compassionate with yourself. Do the work of feeling whole, becoming whole, um, beyond having um, answers that you might be seeking out to questions you have about your adoption. Do the work of knowing yourself and, and building that sense of self-trust, of knowing that decisions that you make for yourself are, are decisions you can trust of welcoming yourself into your life, of, of honoring yourself by putting yourself first, filling your cup up first so that right. you have more to give. Those, those things that I think adoptee or non-adoptee are, are so very important. And certainly they, they come back to the pain points I talk about in the book. But beyond that, make sure you have um, resources around you. People that you can talk to about, I'm going to take this DNA test. I'm a little nervous. Um, <laughs> will you sit with me while I hit the, you know, while I do the swabbing or will you be there with me? Can I talk with you openly about why I want to take this test? I just need someone to talk to, whether that be a trusted friend, a family member or an adoptee group. You know, there are many adoptees out there who have been on this journey, too. So you're not alone. And so make sure that you're preparing a framework of support um, as you step into the journey that is DNA testing and what might unfold, what might not unfold, and knowing at the end of the day, you're going to be okay, no yeah. matter what. 
because you have you, you know, and becoming our own best friend and saying everything and anything can go away, but I've got me. I will never abandon myself again. And, and believe me, I I abandoned myself for a very long time. Um, my sense of worth. Um, I know that I told my mom this when I think mom, when you relinquished your right to parent me, I may have relinquished my right to love me. So get back to self-love. Um, do what you need to do to love yourself more deeply and completely know yourself more deeply com- and completely before and during while you're on this DNA journey, if that is what you choose for yourself as an adoptee. Yeah. In, in the book, you have these lovely affirmations that something like I am wanted, I am loved and mm-hmm. and and this kind of a thing. I think it's vitally important. You also talk about um, reclaiming your first me and you were born with a different name mm-hmm. and and just tell us a little bit about that because i for me it's like grieving and honoring and looking right at it i mm. guess you're pulling yeah. back that pluto carpet pulling it back and going come here come on out come on out yeah you know pulling my first me out of the dark dark hallways going in to find her her name is was will always be Julia Dodd. I was named after my my bio father. His name was Juliano. And um, I my name was changed after being adopted, after everything was finalized to Michelle. And, you know, Julia Dawn still lived inside of me. I, I didn't know what to do with this little girl. I mean, obviously she was there, <laughs> she was somewhere. But I couldn't grieve her. I didn't know where to place her. And I felt very uh, separated from her. And I never talked about it growing up because no one ever thought in a million years that it mattered. But it does matter to go back and connect with your first me, the child who lived and breathed before the adoption happened. They were a part of this journey too. And so some of the most profound healing work for myself and the the adoptees I work with is going back and reconnecting to their first me and saying, I am, you know, big me now, but I'm extending my hand out to you. We will no longer do this life separate Um, in, in separate corners. We are going to unite, come together and move forward as, as one. I have, you know, I have tattoos, but um, I have Julia Dawn, um, on this arm, if you can see. Yes, uh-huh. I can. Woo! And I look at her in a dandelion, <laughs> all these significant little things, but I look at that tattoo each and every day, and it is my reminder that she lives and breathes within me, that she holds wisdom, she holds desires and dreams, and I am here, like you said, the ancestors going, yes, yes, do it. Each and every day, I do this work, yes, for the beautiful souls out there, who, who come to me in need of support and understanding, but I also do it for Julia Dawn. Um, and I will not let her down. And that tattoo is my reminder that she is here with me always. She always yeah. has been. And reconnecting with her has been um, absolutely life-saving. I'm very proud of that little girl. Yes. I'm so glad she's alive and well and with you and here on the radio with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I I so appreciate what you said that you will never abandon yourself. You will never abandon her. You will never turn your back on her. 
you will never tell her to go wander in the dark hall. You're going to mm. bring her right in. And 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 you get to take care of her, you know, which I think is a very, very big deal. Um, the imagery of a, of a child wandering in the dark is very potent for me. It's very potent. Mm. And I think that 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 symbolizes very well what goes on within a lot of people because they feel lost. There's that lost piece of this. Um, you know, we know in in, I don't know, some kind of greater work that the disowned parts of us are the parts that, you know, come, they live in the shadow and we do need to find a place for them, find yes. them and find a place for them. So I love her being on your arm and you can touch it anytime you want. I love this so much. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think I need some tattoos anyway, by the <laughs> let's way, I love do it. Uh, yeah, let's, let's do it. it. I love dandelions, by the way, and they're great for bees and fairies and all kinds of wonderful things. So you we want to keep the magic alive. You know, we got to keep the magic alive. We're um, getting close to the end, but I would like you to talk about the title of your book for a moment. It's a deeply personal title and the inspiration for the title. Oh, thank you. Let us be greater. You know, I am an adoptee who has adopted. Um, I have um, a son from Russia and a daughter from Ethiopia. I was in Ethiopia in 2010, adopting my now 14-year-old daughter. Um, and when I was in Ethiopia, um, I was asked, I was holding my daughter for the first time. And um, her her name, Siblet, was given to her by the stranger who, who found her in southern Ethiopia. Um, and I asked the orphanage director, well, what does this name mean? What's the translation significance? And she said, it means let her be greater. Let her be first. Let her rise above um, the broken circumstances of this moment. Let her be more. And I, I stood there and holding my daughter and I thought, wow, divine messaging, because I have been struggling with my sense of worth and value. And I have felt very much um co you know completely broken and separated from my greatness and so i think that divine message uh, got me right back on path to continuing the work going deeper excavating um, more deeply some of the, the those parts of myself that needed to be looked at and healed um and so the book let us be greater is really the mantra and it and it is seated in the name of my beautiful daughter and her Ethiopian name, Tibet. But let us be greater. I write at the end of the book, let us be greater, let us be, let us, you know, as adoptees. And so it is my prayer, it is my um my crying out to the heavens, to the universe. Let this be that turning point for adoptees, this moment right here, right now, where we step into our greatness and we just never, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> fall into the cracks of feeling lesser than ever again. Beautiful. Well said. 